Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. Kevin, we have a full show today. Dare we call this a megapod? Because we have not only the overstated family back with us in Brett and Jacob. Steve couldn't make it tonight, but I promise we're going to get him on one of these podcasts. But we also have the introduction of my new co-host, Moving forward, Cole Miller. Cole, in- introduce yourself to the audience, my friend. Uh, once again, thanks, Nate. It's great to be here. Uh, great to finally be doing this with you. I'm excited to be doing this with the Overstated Pod. That's really an awesome experience, my first time around. I'm really excited to get going, so let's just do it. Absolutely. Let's get into it. Brett, Jacob, you guys ready to hammer out some NBA? Oh, you know it, man. Absolutely. So for everyone listening, I wanted to do an NBA preview pod because we are recording this on Friday the 11th. So there is preseason basketball going on tonight that I'm sure everyone in this discussion is also going to be watching as soon as we're done. We're recording this about 530 Eastern time. By the time we wrap up, we're likely going to be seeing the uh, the, the magic take on the Hawks. So I'm excited for that one. I know pretty much everybody in here is as well because we want to see the debut of Cole Anthony and how many minutes he gets and what he can do. So um, we're, we're going to try to to speed through this preview here um, and give you guys a nice rundown of essentially the entire picture for what we expect to see during this upcoming NBA season. So what I wanted to do, I have 30 teams here, obviously 30 questions. We're going to hammer out each question one by one, one for each team, obviously um, we're going to make our way through the East. We're going to make our way through the West. Um, basically how I'm going to do this is it's just going to be open discussion. So once I ask the question, anyone who wants to jump in with an answer, please do. And we're going to go from there as far as having, um, open talk, open dialogue about everything we have here. And I think this is going to give us a good picture, um, for the season. So with that being said, are we ready boys? Let's do it. Oh yeah. So actually going against what I just said, Brett, you're going to, you're going to be the first target. Um, here with this question, because I know you're the Celtics guy uh, on the podcast here. So, Brett, how much can the Celtics rely on Kemba Walker to be healthy? And if he's not, who is the lead guard the rest of the team has to adjust to? Is it smart kind of playing like a bigger lineup? Or can they trust Jeff Teague to step in right away and, and definitely win the respect of the rest of his teammates and kind of command things from that lead guard spot? Yeah, I think at this point, it's it's really hard to trust uh, Kemba's ability to stay healthy. Um, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30 now, and that knee issue just doesn't seem to be going away. So it'll be nice if he can get back sometime soon and be at full strength, but I don't think you can count on that. And I think the guy is going to be Teague. Um, I think that Teague could still be a starting level NBA point guard. He's not super old. Um, He was really good a few years ago, and as a Celtics fan, I'm glad they brought him in because I think at the very least, you know, he's a guy that can steer the ship in Kemba's absence. And, of course, we'll see Marcus playing some point guard. We might see Carson Edwards step up into a larger role, but I think Jeff Teague is going to be the guy. He's going to be the point guard. I think he's best suited for that role, and I'm glad that Boston has him because, um, you know, he won't hurt you when he's out there. He's solid. He's experienced. And Boston has some other, you know, ball handlers in, in uh, Jalen and Jason that can really, um, you know, do a lot with the ball. So 
you know, not too much will be asked of him. Just he's just a, just a steady hand, and I think that's what they need at this point to you know at least stay above water. Yeah, that's a that's a good point that you brought up because I think in in a way Jeff Teague's kind of been given like a raw deal uh, with, with how he's been bounced around here a little bit. I, I I didn't really think he was given too much of a chance to succeed in Minnesota given the personnel he had around him. Um, but even being a, a little bit on the older side, as you said, Brett, he's still young enough. And even if you want to run some more offense through some of those other guys, whether it be Smart, Tatum, Brown, um, Jeff Teague is a good enough spot-up shooter to, at the very least, spread the court for you. Obviously, he's a smart decision-maker on the on the floor. He's a veteran. Um, and he's he's going to compete defensively, even if he's not like any kind of lockdown defender at that spot. What do you, what, what do you, what do you think about... Um, Jeff Teague potentially having to step up into a bigger role for the Celtics right away, Jacob. I think it's kind of, it's what you really have to do because I don't think you can rely on Marcus Smart as much. Not that he's not a good playmaker, but I would rather have someone like Jeff Teague playing the point. One thing I'm more in, interested in regarding that is how is that going to affect how Brad Stevens sets up because coming into Boston his system has really pushed the scoring point guards to the forefront of the offense. Mm -hmm. You think in Isaiah, Kyrie, Kemba, I think with Kemba, he began to change the system with the amount of wing scoring he had. Kemba maybe took more of a back seat than Kyrie and Isaiah did before him. But now you've got Jeff Teague. That's a whole different style of point guard. And that's something I think I'm interested to see how Brad Stevens adapts his system and whether he tries to go for a more um, you to kind of let everyone eat, basically. Are you going to have Tatum as the secondary, but also shares the duties? Is he good enough for that yet? Is Brown good enough for that yet? I'm not sure. And I'm interested more to see how Brad Stevens adapts to it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that, Cole. Any any other thoughts on, on Boston? Yeah, I just, I just want to throw out that Kemba's got Jeff by two years, so I'm not sure if I totally buy into that uh, part of it just yet. I think we're going to see Jeff slowly work his way in as a starter, maybe a little bit faster than I anticipate, just based on there's not a lot of camp, there's not a lot of familiar, familiarity there. Um, I think if you're a Celtics fan, you're hoping Jeff T gets back to the way he was a couple years ago, but he's looked disinterested a lot the last two years, I will say, from what I've seen. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of smart NT on the court at times together uh, just because smart can literally defend one through four. Even if you don't really think he should be defending fours, he somehow figures out a way to do it. Um, I think the guy that to keep an eye on that might really start poking his head into the rotation just because he's got a knack for doing it. Um, and he works hard and he won't go away is Tremont waters. I think he makes an impact before Carson Edwards. who was obviously the G league player of the year last year. Um, obviously I don't think he is Chris Paul, but he's got that type of dog in him and that type of old school point guard mentality so i'm interested to see what waters does with rotation this year well the celtics can't stop drafting small point guards no so... they can't do they can't do that either i don't yeah i mean <laughs> at some point one of them's got to break through i actually really like waters i really like pritchard i don't think pritchard's gonna see the court a lot this year though but waters was a big guy on our old scouting staff cole um for for anyone who didn't really get a backstory as to how cole and i actually met um, we used to work for a private scouting firm together. So back, back in that heyday, um, Cole, when Cole and I were on the staff, Waters was was a staff favorite. 
uh, de definitely among enough of the staff. So um, I'm very intrigued to see if, if Cole's point can come true and Waters actually breaks through and starts earning good minutes for Boston. Um, moving on to the Brooklyn Nets. My question for the Brooklyn Nets um, is, do they actually have enough depth to compete for a title? And, and let me kind of explain what I mean by that. So obviously you have the two established stars in Kyrie and KD. You have Karis LeVert, who really took what I would consider to be a, a monstrous leap last year in terms of when he was showing high-level production and in what kind of moments and, and what kind of games, um, especially in the bubble. I mean, I know he had kind of had to do a lot for, for the Nets because like <laughs> nobody was there on that roster who um, should have been. Everyone was either hurt or coming back from injury or in Spencer Dinwiddie's case, he was still recovering from COVID. Um, so he kind of had to step up. But you have those kind of three guys, but Spencer Dinwiddie hasn't really played in a ton of big spots. Obviously, Landry Shamit, um, Bruce Brown are still relatively young. Luau Cabarro is obviously um, not very battle-tested in terms of like bigger games and, and bigger spots. Um, same can pretty much be said for Jared Allen. Um, Tyler Johnson has been around the block a little bit, so he, he might be able to, to still pick up some minutes with this team. Um, Jeff Green, we, we kind of know that Jeff Green's kind of very hit or miss. Um, and, and I'm not really sure I know what exactly we're going to get out of um, DeAndre Jordan this year either. So as much as I want to be high on the Nets and think that they can obviously compete for, for a title and, and, and be able to get to the finals out of the East, I'm not sure if I'm completely sold on the quality of their depth. So if anyone wants to, to kind of jump in here and, and maybe tell me why I'm right, tell me why I'm wrong. That that's just kind of my take on the Nets. Yeah, I pretty much agree. I mean, you have Kyrie, Kyrie and KD, and then I think you, I think you're probably keeping Joe Harris around for the long haul. But mm -hmm. after that, it's really kind of a, a hodgepodge of guys. Um, I like Kuroks and Bruce Brown, but I think they're smaller role players on that team in the long run. Um, so I think no, I don't think they're a title contender this year, and I, I think that's realistic because KD's coming off an Achilles tear. I don't really think anybody should be considering them true title contenders this year. Um, they need a year to figure it out beyond those three or four players. Yeah, I think, you know, if they fall short of, of winning a title or making the finals or even making the conference finals or whatever, I don't think it's going to be because of a lack of depth. Um, I mean, there there's some concerns there. I think their guard depth is great. You know, when you talk about Kyrie, uh, Kyrie and Levert and then having Dinwiddie, Shamit and Bruce Brown off the bench, like that's not a bad guard rotation at all it gets a little thin up front you know when when you talk about if durant needs to miss time or harris goes down then you're down to tory and prince green and Karutz and tlc like you said um and then I, I mean i think i would say they have good center depth they have two starting caliber centers in in dj and jared allen so i'm not so much worried about their depth um i think if, if they fall short it's going to be an, is, an issue of chemistry or um you know a, a pretty catastrophic injury like Kyrie or KD missing serious time um you know but most likely yeah they, they you know they're this is their first year together there's probably going to be some chemistry issues it wouldn't surprise me if they're a top maybe four maybe even three team in the east but there's a couple of teams I like better than them in that conference but I'm not as worried about their depth as some other potential issues yeah I when I read this question I thought it's more that this um, question is predicated on how good are Kyrie and KD. 
because depending on how good they are, the depth becomes less important. If they are very good still, which um, is, you know, questionable, but depending on how you view KD coming off his Achilles tear, depending on how you view Kyrie's health in general, I do think they have the depth. Like Brett said, they have a great guard rotation. Those are four guards who could all get minutes on playoff teams. They have Joe Harris, Torian Prince, you know, um, Levert, like Brett said, there's they have two starting caliber centers. And I went through their roster. I thought about nine guys I could see, depending on situation and matchup, that could get real minutes in a playoff series. And that's, I think, more than most of the top. Like, that's a lot more than the Lakers have, I think. It's just we know with the Lakers what we're getting out of LeBron and AD. And we don't mm-hmm. know that about Durant and Kyrie. And that's where the issue lies, I think. What What do you guys think about Kevin Durant? Um, coming out and saying that the plan is for him to definitely see some minutes at the center spot. See, I'm not a big fan of that idea only because he is coming off a very serious injury. So if you put him at the center spot, you're definitely asking him to be in the middle of everything down low, um, obviously trying to box out, aggressively go for rebounds, uh, protect the paint. I'm not sure how much I want him down low, potentially hunting for and or being exposed to more contact than just having him purely kind of like playing more out in the wing, spreading the floor. I, I think that's kind of where the Nets should look to have him, especially like starting the year. What, what, what do you, am I, am I overblowing that? What do you guys think about that? I thought that was a very interesting nugget. You know, I didn't hear that, but I, I actually don't see him really playing the five. Like I, I just, I don't really, you know, maybe very situationally, you know, if they really want to go small, maybe, but I don't think that's going to be very much of his role. I mean, I just, you know, when, when you have DJ and Jared Allen and then uh, Nicholas Claxton too, who I like a lot is out with um, uh, tendinopathy, I believe in his knee, but he'll be back at some point too. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. I think he could get some minutes at center as well. So I don't know how much there is to that, to KD saying that, if, you know, I think that would just be like a experimental lineup at best. Yeah. I mean, I don't, hate it because i think that at least it limits kd's need to be mobile on the floor if they're running like drop coverage he can just drop into the paint on a pick and roll and there's not that many bruises obviously he wouldn't be playing the five if like Embiid was out there but if it's they're going up against a smaller lineup then i don't see why they wouldn't try to limit his mobility by playing him at the five for a bit and obviously on the offensive end having someone like kd at the five is destructive if it works out for you so i don't i think it will see some minutes this season i don't see why it wouldn't in particular situations not against the Embiid's or the yarnesses you would want a bigger body but yeah it's against teams that maybe can't don't have those physical specimens i think you'll get some minutes fair enough um i i i agree with all the points made um like i said i'm just trying to to limit as much contact that he's potentially bracing for and taking as 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 much as possible and maybe to jacob's point it's an incredibly situational lineup so we'll we'll have to wait and see how that one plays out and how many minutes he actually gets at the center spot but yeah that's certainly has has all the destructive potential in the world offensively if he's spreading the floor at the five spot you have a three-point shooter like him spreading the court for for somebody like Kyrie to, to better get in the lane and do more damage. So that that's definitely something I'll be watching with, and that's for sure. Um, moving on to the other team in New York, um, the Knicks. My question 
about the Knicks is one that's certainly come up in, in our overstated group, especially recently, has to do with Kevin Knox. So Kevin can, can Kevin Knox take a leap and become a legitimate NBA starter to balance out the lineup, or will the Knicks have to get creative starting someone like Bullock on the wing to fill in more shooting? Cole, I actually want to pivot to you on this one because you and I have certainly had conversations about Knox in the past. Is Is he pretty much – a prospect that might potentially be dead in the water, or is there still enough hope there? Because I actually think there is hope for for Kevin Knox, given how young he was coming into the draft. He was the youngest player in that draft class. I I, I still have Kevin Knox stock that I'm going to hold on to. Yeah, I, I don't think you can completely sell yet on Kevin. Um, I don't think the lofty ceiling that a lot of people thought was there when he came out of college is still there. I think it's more of a, he's just a nice starter, potentially a good shooter. And, you know, a guy that can spread the floor, but not really somebody who's going to be handling the ball a great deal like some of these other wings have come out and done, uh, you know, in draft classes since his, like Jalen and Jason Tatum, I'm thinking of in that regard uh, specifically. But no, I think Thibodeau is going to ride him real hard, for better or worse. And we're going to see what Kevin Knox has at the NBA level this year. Um, he's not going to get jerked around like he did last year. Uh, but again, I just think he's a nice starter at this point. I think that's his potential. I'm yeah, definitely. <laughs> what you you're yeah. out on Knox? Uh, I'm I'm definitely. I don't really see. I mean, he's put in a very bad situation. I think in New York because I think his optimal um, position is probably playing the four as a hyper athletic four. And yeah, like he can't really shoot. Like all his indicate, he shoots basically thirty three percent from everywhere outside the paint. He's shooting at the rim. I think it's dampened a bit by how New York was set up last year, but his shooting at the rim is dreadful for someone his size. Yeah, I just, I do not see Knox really. I don't see him sticking to be honest in the NBA going forward. I think part of it is just going to New York and having that dreadful situation. And maybe, you know, he goes to the Spurs. It's a whole different story. He goes to Boston. It's a whole different story. That's not what happened. And I think he's just been unlucky. I don't think he's going to stick. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the power forward thing because I could see that too, uh, especially on this team. I've never been a fan of the Randall and Mitchell Robinson fit together. Randall just doesn't shoot it well enough, and I think you need um, somebody at the four who can stretch it a little bit alongside Robinson, and maybe Knox could be that. I think he's a better shooter than his numbers would have you believe. I like, agree. I, I, yeah, I don't have a problem with his shot. I actually think he's got a pretty nice-looking shot, and – you know, when he, when he takes good shots, he, he knocks them down. So I think he's a better shooter than his numbers w would lead you to believe. And I also think he's he has some really nice defensive moments uh, in terms of blocking shots. He's actually a, a really good rim protector. I believe he was second uh, on the Knicks behind Mitchell Robinson in block percentage last year, maybe third, but it was very respectable in that regard. Um, and, you know, he's had a weird career trajectory so far. And, and a lot of that was just coaching decisions like he as a rookie he played I think almost 30 minutes a game and um you know was somewhat productive albeit not efficient at all but at least he was getting an opportunity and then in his second year to just bench him um it didn't make a lot of sense for a team that had no chance of making the playoffs why not develop him a little more give him some more time on the court I never liked that so I think having a new coach there in the report I think the wording was that Tibbs has been in his ear all summer mm -hmm. is what I read and and they are still prioritizing him so I expect him to start uh, to answer your question I see the argument for Bullock um, having some more shooting out there but again I think 
Knox is a better shooter than a lot of people realize. It's just that their backcourt is none of those guys are shooters, whether it's Alfred Payton or Austin Rivers or Frank Nilakina or Dennis Smith or RJ Barrett, even at this point, like none of those guys can shoot. So they need more shooting. So I see the argument for putting Bullock out there, but I think Knox might be able to give you some shooting in year three. That was something else I read is that he has improved his shot even more. So I'm excited to see what he looks like. And, you know, I think Tibbs believes in him and, and that's important. That's half the battle sometimes. Yeah, I, I sure hope so because I think Kevin Knox has been given one of the raw steals in the NBA of, of anybody that I can think of in recent memory, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, com- coming out of Kentucky, he was viewed as a potential shot-creating wing, which if we're going to be honest with ourselves, how many opportunities has he really had to, to experiment on the court in real NBA games, kind of handle the ball a little bit, be given that kind of responsibility and, and enough freedom to, to at least try to do a lot of those things. He's primarily been used as pretty much nothing but a spot up shooter. And then whatever you get on defense is gravy. Um, but if I'm Kevin Knox, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, why haven't I been given the opportunity to experiment a little more? What, what true amazing ball handlers and point guards have I really gotten the chance to, to play alongside in my few years here um, in New York, obviously RJ Barrett has had growing pains. We know that Knicks haven't had a point guard in a long time period. So like if I'm Kevin Knox, I'm kind of sitting there like, why haven't I been given a little more freedom? Why haven't I been given more of an opportunity to kind of go out in a real game, not just a practice setting and, and, and prove that may, Hey, maybe I can bring more to this team than, that I've been given credit for and given the opportunity for, um, since I've gotten here. So I I'm also very intrigued to see what happens with Kevin Knox. I'm hope. I, I hope he's given more of an opportunity to go out and do a little more things on offense than just stand in the corner and, and spread the floor for, for a bunch of ball handlers that quite frankly, other than RJ, I, I'm still really not a big Alfred Payton guy at this point. Um, I'm, I'm not really a fan of their point guard rotation period. So I, I, I'm, I, I'm more inclined to, to say yes, that I think he can take a leap as long as he's given the opportunity. And Brett, you brought up the point. Um, where the whole question originated from was that Tibbs does have Knox in mind for a bigger role. So what, what we can only hope, right? We, we can only hope that he gets his chance. So, I mean, what he just turned 21, right? Exactly. Right. But he that's was the said, youngest I mean, player coming in and, and he, yeah. he was obviously going to have growing pains. He, right? He's extremely young. I think we can all agree that this is a really big year, if not make or break for him. You know, we, we really need Definitely. to see something from him this season. Yeah. How many of these Kentucky guys haven't had growing pains? coming out of Kentucky at this point, right? Like how many have truly been special enough to come in right away and just like click? It's been what? It's been like John Wall, uh, Boogie Cousins, even even in that same class, like Bledsoe didn't immediately click in the NBA right away. He still had to get enough of a role to shine in yeah. Phoenix. Phoenix was really like his big bright spot, um, kind of like the end of his Clippers tenure, but really like when he got to Phoenix, that's when he he put everybody on notice, like, oh my God, like, why why hasn't he gotten a bigger role up to this point, right? So I mean Jamal um, Murray, yeah, Booker, um, well, I mean, AD. I mean AD, AD kind of was an MVP candidate year three, so but that's AD. That's kind of the exception to any rule. Fox. Right, right, but even even so, like we're talking about guys that are blossoming like in year three and year right. four. So that's kind of what Kevin's coming into, and that's why I I still see. Um, I, I still see a light at the end of the tunnel for him moving forward. And, and speaking on those Kentucky guys, it's going to be a conversation we're going to have 
um, in, in this draft season as well with, with guys like Brandon Boston struggling out of the gate for Kentucky. Um, Terrix Clark has had some moments. I think he's probably like the best prospect on that team right now. Um, Isaiah Jackson struggled offensively out of the gate. So these are an, another Calipari class that's probably going to struggle their first few years in the NBA are going to have to figure some things out. So who, who knows? But m- moving on to the hometown, at least for, for Cole and I, the hometown Philadelphia 76ers. My question, I'm sure I'm going to get rebuttal on this one. I already know it's probably coming from Cole, but can Ben Simmons win the MVP award this season? I'll defer. <laughs> well, 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 we, you're going to defer? I thought I was getting the crap from you first. <laughs> we got this question uh, in our uh, a couple episodes ago, and we did a mailbag. Somebody was asking for um, like a dark horse MVP candidate and Ben Simmons was my pick and I said I think he could be you know in the top a dark horse like in the top five um for MVP voting um so look I expect big things from the Sixers I have them right at the top in the east and if Ben Simmons is their clear-cut best player and if he takes a leap and if he benefits from having some uh, additional shooting around him namely Seth Curry uh to a lesser degree maybe Shake Milton and maybe you know we'll see what Moss can do but Look, man, I think if he improves enough and the Sixers are as good as I think they can be, I think he could be at least in the top five. So I would say he can. I don't think it's likely, but he I like him as like a dark horse pick. See, I am going to pivot because we are because I've been thinking quite a lot about um, this kind of MVP discussion because we're going to be doing awards predictions um, leading into the season on the overstated NBA show. And I actually stumbled. I I'm not sure where he's going to end up, but I think Embiid has a real shot. Yes. MVP. Yeah, I think yeah, I think he's going to be the kind of the focal point of this team. While Simmons maybe I would prefer to build around Simmons in theory. I think when you actually get them on the floor, Embiid is a much more impactful player right now. When you think defensively, he might be the best defender in the league, kind of top 3 defender in the league. He's maybe the only guy who can efficiently score out the low post. I think he's going to be the one getting most of the attention for MVP because I do think Philly's going to end up very high. I think his counting stats are going to be amazing now that you've gotten some of these other scorers out of the team. I just I don't think Ben Simmons, with other big scorers in the team, without him kind of being the main guy, surrounded by a team of Danny Greens, I don't think he's ever going to put up the numbers to really get into that kind of discussion, no matter how impactful he is on defense or how good a playmaker he is, personally. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to back you up there, Jacob. I think That's for great. this year and at least next year, it's got to be Embiid. Um, Ben's definitely going to take a step forward with the better team surrounding him uh, from you know, a role standpoint with Seth and some of the other shooters there and steps forward with Matisse and, and Shake, hopefully. But Doc's going to get the ball in Embiid's hands in better positions than Brett ever did. We're playing a shorter season this year, so I think Embiid's probably a good lock to like play 65 to almost all of the games. I don't think he's going to miss more than five games this year if, he's, if he doesn't have a random injury pop up. Um, so I think that's going to be in his favor. Uh, yeah, I think Embiid is just refreshed. I think he's ready to go, and I think we're going to see a better version of him than we saw two years ago. And that was an MVP candidate for a good part of the year when they went on that winning streak. So. I think it's Embiid this year for the Sixers and maybe next year. Uh, down the road, I could see Ben edging him out with some top five votes. 
So the the main reason why, and, and that's fine if you two have have banded together. I suppose Brett and I are gonna or make our own small little team here to to go against <laughs> you guys. But the only reason why I'm gonna side with Ben Simmons and why I asked the question in the first place was, um, and and Bede's deficiencies. I, I see a lot more of a deficiency in Embiid's game in terms of what improvement he might bring to the court this year um, than than I do with Ben. I, I think I think if Ben wants it. I think if Ben comes out and is aggressive right out of the gate, I think it could potentially be his award to lose as long as the team behind him actually performs to the way that we think they will. Because um, I really think the only thing that holds Ben back is is his aggressiveness, wanting to get to the basket, wanting to put the ball in the hoop. Um, there, there are so many times when you watch the Sixers, and I want to quite literally tear my hair out because I see Simmons have an open lane to the basket, whether it's in transition or whether it's in the half court, somebody sets a good screen for him to get downhill, and he just doesn't take the opportunity, right? He passes the ball away, not looking to score. And it, it drives me nuts, but at the same time, if Ben's really motivated and he wants to come out and hunt for more of those scoring opportunities more often, I mean, he, he, he's a bull, bull in a china shop when he wants to get to the basket, right? Like when he actually wants to, there, there are a few people that are ultimately going to stop him from getting there and finishing. Um, so I think he has a real chance to pop those scoring numbers right up, especially with more of a spread floor. Um, and and Bede, here, here's my problem with Embiid. So I think everybody has seen him as this incredible back-to-the-basket guy, this, this throwback big who you should be throwing the ball into him all the time, kind of let him do his thing down low. God, I, I, I know the numbers kind of reflect that too, but how many times has that man turned the ball over because he can't pass out of a double team because his handle's a little shaky with his back to the basket? And I, I just, I just, I see so many turnovers. I see so many times when he tries to turn into like three guys and still try and finish the shot anyways instead of trying to maybe do something else with the ball. So I, I think as much as we can say that Ben holds himself back, I see Embiid holding himself back as well, but he's been in the league long enough and he's been in enough moments that the things that he's missing from an IQ standpoint in terms of his vision and his processing of the game, I'm not sure if if we're going to get that at a higher level, much like I thought we once were. And I don't know how you guys feel about any of that, but that's just kind of my Simmons versus Embiid take, which is why I've, I've kind of always sided with Simmons because I think at the end of the day, he's the smarter player. He's as talented, if not more talented than Embiid. And I think it's really just about it. If Ben wants it, I think anything in the league is there for him to grab. I think he has a, an easier path to the MVP than, than Embiid this coming season. Like it's pretty simple. Like if Philadelphia is the best team in the East, Ben Simmons averages a triple double and plays first team defense level defense, that might do it right there. You know what I mean? If he averages 18, 10, and 10 on the best team in the East and plays defense at that level, that's a pretty good argument right there. And I think with Embiid, I just have like this built-in like missed games thing in my head. Anytime I think about him, I'm like, well, he's going to miss a certain amount of games. And Cole brought up a great point about the shortened season, and maybe that will benefit him in that regard. But I have a hard time thinking that guy can stay healthy. Yeah, but do you think anyone's going to think Simmons is, even if he averages like an 18, 10, and 10, like and plays amazing defense, do you think voters are really going to pick him? Say Embiid puts up 30 and 30 and 13, or 30 oh. and 12, or 29 and 12. 
Well, the scoring think... numbers for, for Simmons have to go up. I mean, Cole yeah. made that point to me off the air that, like, is is there really going to be an MVP who only scores, like, 19 points a game? Like, yeah, when Brett and I are talking about that, we're, we're anticipating that Ben is going to be more aggressive out of the gate, and the scoring numbers do shoot up. Because if, if those scoring numbers do shoot up, the efficiency is pretty much where it's been throughout his career in terms of his finishing around the basket and from the field overall. Plus, you add in all those other things that he brings to the table, then that's the path that Brett and I are talking about. But, Jacob, if you end up being right and Simmons still takes enough of a backseat to Embiid and it's Embiid's team through and through, then he would be more of an MVP candidate. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of – I'm blindly putting faith in Ben Simmons being more aggressive and, and upping those scoring numbers this year. I also, one thing I want to hit on, I think Embiid's the kind of guy who creates his own narrative surrounding this. So say they reach January, February time, and they're at like, you know, 28 and 7 is their record. Something crazy at that time. Embiid is the type of guy, and say he's putting up like 28 and 13, Embiid's the type of guy who's going to start talking smack. He's going to be like, I'm the best player in the league. I'm playing Jokic on the 22nd of February. I'm playing Cat on the 28th. I'm playing Anthony Davis on the 13th of March. Watch me just tear these guys up. Right, he'll and get then, on the campaign trail. Yeah, he gets on. Yeah, <laughs> he's the type of guy that would get on the campaign trail, and I think that matters. Like that doesn't. When we're talking about the best player in the league, that shit don't matter. But we're talking about the MVP and awards. We know what the voters are like. They, this kind of stuff matters when we're talking about those awards. I, I I think I think if Embiid doesn't look to just hunt for looks on the block all the time and, and kind of fastens himself as more of like a modern day big in terms of being heavily involved um, in pick and roll finishing and pick and pop finishing and he kind of diversifies his approach offensively that way we know what kind of transcendent defensive talent he is but if he takes that more I don't want to call it a backseat approach on on offense because he's still obviously getting the touches. Um, and in those play types, but I think he needs to be more heavily involved in that. And Doc's come out and said that, especially Simmons and Embiid, they're they're going to be running a lot more pick and roll than they have in years past. Which all I can say to that is like, thank God, like I can finally like throw both of my hands up in the air. Like you have as as much as we see LeBron and AD being a dominant pick and roll combination, I think Simmons and Embiid could be a better one. Um, yeah. To to be perfectly honest with you, that's the kind of potential that's sitting there for those two. So. Um, that that's what I would want to see more from Embiid, and 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 I don't know. I mean, I know you guys chimed in a little bit, but I don't know how you guys feel about um, what I brought up about Embiid's IQ and his and his floor vision and his play processing. And I I don't know. I just I yeah. I I've, I think an MVP and and like having him firmly in that best player in the league conversation, despite him having the talent to be in that conversation. I just some of those deficiencies just hold him back in that conversation for me. It's definitely still a deficiency that's present in Bede's uh, decision-making on the block. Um, I will say that his four years in the league, turnovers have gone down every year. While not substantially, they still have gone down. And then I'm going to go back to my point about Doc Rivers and a better offensive scheme, which mm-hmm. really was lacking with the Sixers the last couple of years. It's just going to put him better uh, and beat in better situations to score the ball. He's got the touch to do Tim Duncan type stuff. I don't know why he hasn't been. I don't know why Brett Brown didn't make him do that stuff considering where he came from. Um, but yeah, I don't know why he hasn't been crushing and pick and roll, just like little 14 foot jump shot, one handed floaters. He's got that type of stuff. He can do that. It's not could sexy. You, could you imagine if they brought in Tim Duncan to like teach him beat the bank shot? Could right, you imagine? Right. It's not sexy stuff. It's not stuff Embiid wants to do. Cause he loves, you know, taking people off the bounce a little bit, but I think if you get him 
going early in that mindset in the season and he's putting up 28 to 32 a game, he's not going to question it. He's just going to keep rolling. Fair enough. Any other comments, guys? No. No, I'm, I've said my piece now. I'll be <laughs> MVP. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so we'll move on to Toronto. I, I had one question down for Toronto, but Cole actually thought of a better question to put in here. So I'm actually going to go with his. Um, so last year we saw uh, Siakam's efficiency as an offensive player slip when becoming the team's primary scorer. So what does Toronto do to help him regain his 2018-19 form? Who else steps up on the team? Um, or was last year just growing pains for a guy who can be a number one? Um, Cole, if you want to take the floor with your own question, by all means, get us started. Yeah, so I think a little bit was growing pains. I think a little, little bit of it was Pascal being uh, overextended. You do have to take into account that Pascal has been a late bloomer his whole career. So I think there might be still another step for him to take this year. I can't rule that out. Um, that said, I think OG and Anobi is a guy that a lot of people are expecting to take another a big step this year for Toronto as well. Um, he was showing flashes late in the year, but was also at times allergic to trying to score. So it's really still have a question mark how much offensive punch he's going to bring night in and night out for me. So I think Toronto is a really good team. I still think they're missing another big-time score, whether it's somebody that unseats Pascal as the number one on that team or it's a guy that can go right along with them. Yeah, See, I, 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 I'm, I'm firmly in the OGs about to step up camp. Like, I think I've always sort of seen him on this almost like Kawhi Leonard trajectory <laughs> uh, where, you know, he's kind of a late bloomer offensively. You know, his defense has kept him on the court. Um, but, you know, he's so imposing physically. And the offensive stuff, yeah, it really was starting to bloom last season. I don't, I'm not saying he's going to be your number one scorer um, or, your, you know, your number one option this year or even at any point. He might not really be that guy. Um, but I do think he's going to take a big step forward and lighten Pascal Siakam's load a little bit. I think a little too much was asked of Siakam last year. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure he's that guy. I don't know if he's an ideal number one option. The, and yes, Cole, like you said, I, they could use um, a guy that can really be that. Yeah, I, when I read this question, I, I had to do a kind of try to look back in my, in my memory, try to think what I know historically has there ever really been a first option who was thrust into that first option role had a bad first year and then kind of flourished especially at the age he's at like we're thinking 26 27 years old i don't think there's ever been someone like that who has taken on the role siakam's taken on not done very well because that's something I, I was banging that drum all year siakam's in the wrong role when they're not making the most out of him in Toronto because he's in the wrong role. He should be the number two option, but they just don't have a clear number one. And he is, if not their best player, their best volume scorer in that sense. Like I don't think Lowry can score at the volume Siakam does. Not that Siakam's incredibly efficient with it, but he can get his shot off and he can score it in bunches. I don't know if anyone's ever taken a jump after showing they can't really do that at that age and yeah i went through the options like van vliet maybe or um og as well but mm, i don't know if i really trust either maybe og will take a jump that's incredibly possible but that's less likely than them just not having a clear number one option next year 
and that uh, that first option kind of falling to Siakam again, him being a bit underwhelming again. They're very good defensively. They're about league average offensively because the system in place is good and they have a good bunch of players, just no one outstanding. And they kind of saunter into another second round exit, another tough second round out. That's what I see Toronto and for Pascal this year. Yeah, Ananobi has to take a leap, right? He 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 has to, or else this team, as you just said, Jacob, is, is destined to repeat the same fate as last year. And I don't really even think that's up for, for much debate. As good as Siakam is, I don't know if I see another leap for him. Cole's absolutely right in saying that it can happen because of his development pattern up to this point. I don't know if I see it, but I mean, if they had one more like really good scoring wing, um, and maybe Ananobi is that guy if he takes the jump, but if he's not, if they had one more scoring wing, I, I still love the rest of the team around them. I mean, Lowry, Van Vliet, and Terrence Davis obviously had some good moments last year. He's probably going to take another step forward this year. Um, Norm Powell on the wing was really consistent for them last year. He's just, he's, he's not like this amazing shot creator. He, he's more of a kind of like take what the offense kind of gives him guy. Um, but you have Lowry, Van Vliet, uh, Malachi Flynn um, ha- has gotten rave reports in camp already, which by the way, for anyone who listens to this podcast, that should not be a surprise. I, I was, I was banging on the Malachi Flynn drum in multiple places, almost as hard as I was uh, banging the, the Cole Anthony drum to be perfectly honest with everybody. Um, so that doesn't shock me whatsoever. He was a great pickup by Toronto in the draft. Um, I, I really like the Aaron Bain signing. Um, I know that obviously they lost Gasol and they lost Ibaka, but Baines is an underrated big who I think can step in and do a lot of the same things that those two guys did. Uh, Boucher is a stretch five who's definitely going to get more run, and I think that he can take another step up. And then you have Alex Len to kind of fill out that that big rotation. So I, I like the team around Siakam and Ananobi, but are those guys going to be good enough as first and second options respectively, or or maybe potentially one and one A if we're lucky enough to see that from Ananobi to do more damage than they already have in the East? My answer to that question is probably no up to this point, but Brett's optimistic about Ananobi. Um, Cole's optimistic about Siakam. I, I want to see this Raptors team play really well because I think a lot of the talent is there. It's just who's going to step up against some of these better teams in the East. That's all. I would like to clarify that I'm probably more optimistic about OG taking a step than, than Pascal. Jacob makes a great point. Who has you know been given the mantle to only falter in the role than to overcome that falter really isn't a great example of that. Um, the only reason I would give Pascal the, the benefit of the doubt is because of the development path. But again, I don't really know if I totally see that happening. Fair enough. True. But, but historically, he is now like 27, 28 is generally... Oh, yeah prime and right. so yep. maybe he has one more jump to do but it's it's going against kind of the tide of history for him to do it definitely he's probably just a robin mm. which is fine that's great definitely so the chicago bulls are next on the list and brett this question is 100 percent for you because you are the pat <laughs> williams guy so i'm going to direct this right at you my friend um will will patrick williams be in good enough to force his way into the starting lineup and in turn, force the Bulls to make a trade and collect assets on one of those front court pieces. I don't see him starting at any point this year. I mean, if if Otto Porter goes down, sure. But I think the Bulls are going to try to compete and try to get into the playoffs. 
And as much as I love Pat Williams, I think he's a little too raw to have that much of a role right away. Um, I mean, maybe he's got a little more to his game than we saw, but with him, I just think, you know, so much of it is potential. And that's why I love him so much. I think he has a ton of potential. Um, you know, it's kind of like I am with OG. It's one of the reasons I've always been high on him. I just, I think he's got a similar type of potential, different kind of player, but, um, yeah, I, I just, but I don't, I don't really see it as a rookie. I'm, I'm tempering my expectations for him right out of the gate, um, you know, quite a bit. Uh, so I don't, I don't see him stepping into the starting lineup this year. But if Otto went down with an injury, uh, then maybe. Or if they're, you know, out of contention, you know, for a playoff spot, if they're really bottoming out, uh, maybe they throw him out there. But I think they're going to try to make the playoffs, and I don't think you could really do that with Patrick Williams as a starter this what's, year. What, what's the temperature check? for for you guys for for chicago because i'm i'm still not completely sold on what they have my my biggest problem with them last year i know that i talked um with cole about this last season at multiple points is that i they just don't have a guard who can play pick and roll at at a high level to really bring more things into ebb and flow into the offense like for as good as a score as levine is he, he's not really like a point guard type. He's kind of proven that throughout his career. Um, I think Kobe White is pretty much like the same kind of scoring guard and, and should play and should style his game and tailor it similarly to what Levine's done in his career. Uh, I just, I just, I, I don't see a starting guard that can really orchestrate the pieces that, that are on that roster. And if things falter with the Bulls, if they don't get into playoff contention, as Brett thinks they're trying to do, I don't know if they're going to pay Lowry Markkinen and, and, and give him the money that he's probably going to want on an extension. I, I don't know what they're going to do with Lowry. Um, if Wendell Carter's not healthy, I don't know what they're going to do there. Obviously, the Porter piece, they're, they're definitely going to move off of Porter at some point. I think they wanted to try to trade for him to see, hey, if we have a team here, then Porter can definitely be the three that we're missing to kind of fill the gap. But if, if the team doesn't improve around Porter, then they're probably going to get off of him too. So I think this Bulls team is still in a lot of flux. I don't know how you guys, Jacob and, and Cole, feel about the Bulls. Um, not <clears throat> not great, honestly. You're asking this question. I, I Honestly, I don't have them making the top eight. I think they might be able to squeeze into the play-in. And like you say, the cap sheet for this team isn't great right now. And it's going to get worse as Markinen and um, as Wendell Carter come up for their extensions. Zach Levine will be up for an extension after next year. I, I don't totally see this team's future. And yeah, if they are in the plane, if they're the ninth seed, then what are we doing here? Honestly, let's let's do something. Because like you say, Otto Porter's contract is tradable at this stage as a expiring deal, mm-hmm. big contract. You could probably get some good assets back for that if you are willing to take on more years from another player. Um, Levine is very tradable, I think, to a good team that might be looking for a scorer. And then you can look get more on like the Kobe White and Patrick Williams timeline. Maybe you trade Lowry or Carter, whichever one you're less high on, and you give the other one an extension and then try to go into the draft this year, get a really good player like you guys have a better idea about who they could be targeting but i think that's really on the cards for chicago because i'm not high on this roster yeah i think that's a pretty fair assessment i I as well not that high on this roster and how it fits together in in terms of making a playoff push i don't even have them in the top 10 if they do the extended playoff standings this year 
Um, I think it's in their best interest to tank. And as today's point, they don't have a guard that can run pick and roll stuff. They don't really have that true lead guard. Haven't probably since D Rose. Um, Jalen Suggs is a top of draft. Uh, would be a pretty interesting guy to fit alongside Kobe White and some of those other guys. I think they're in discovery mode this year. Um, and like the Knicks, they just have a lot of messes to sort out. My guy to watch, if anybody, is Chandler Hutchison. I just think he's got something to prove still, and nobody's really counting on him, so I think he's going to make some waves. Yeah, so he would. I would almost think he would step up into that starting small forward spot uh, before yeah. before Patrick Williams does. And you know, and, and to your points about you know the the, the lead ball handler, I, I think Patrick Williams, as much as I love his potential, I think he was kind of a strange choice for them. Um, you know, I I would think that even a guy like like Halliburton might make more sense for them or Killian Hayes. Uh, so I, it was a little bit of an odd pick, uh, but you know they they must really see something in him. They they must really like him. So. Uh, right but yeah I, I, and yeah i think i think the plan kind of changes things i think we'll we'll see a couple of teams making a push to get into that that normally might just say you know screw it and i think the bulls could be one of those teams like if they're close enough hey if we can get into the play-in then we got a chance at the playoffs so i think that's going to change things a little bit in the league and make it a little bit more competitive for a couple of these teams Definitely agree. I just see the Bulls like trying for three weeks and it just going horribly wrong, and then of course <laughs> that could that could definitely happen. <laughs> so this next team that we're going to move to, it's funny when we talk about the Bulls roster and how I don't really like it a ton. I think we're pretty much all in agreement now with that. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers, to me, have a really intriguing roster for this upcoming season. Maybe not as many guys in, in total quantity that I like trotting out on the court as much as like Chicago, for example, but the quality of the guys they do have getting on the floor this year, um, I think makes them a really intriguing team, especially with the um, Isaac Okoro draft pick. Obviously you have Darius Garland um, and Colin Sexton getting another round at it as the, as the guard rotation. You still have Kevin Love and, and Andre Drummond. So while Sexton's not like this all world defender guard because at the end of the day he's the size that he is so he can only do so much he's still one of the most competitive guards in the league um on defense obviously Okoro is really going to help out on defense and you still have Andre Drummond um grabbing rebounds at, a, at an alarming rate and, and patrolling the paint so uh, my question was will the Garland Sexton starting backcourt experiment fare better this year than last but I guess I can kind of make it just like an overarching temperature check of uh, where you're at on the Cavaliers. Cole, I'll, I'll start with you more on the first part of the question because I know that while I, I've been quick to defend Sexton, I kind of wanted to, to uh, leave the Garland station a little bit last year, and you were one of the people that was reminding me that Garland's coming off of an injury and that we should be a little more patient with him. Yeah, I think a lot of the same situation for Cole Anthony this past year could be said for Garland, except for you have to add in the ACL injury for Garland. Um, the dude came out of high school, was one of the top talents, got the Vanderbilt, lit it up in five games, and then the knee blew out. So uh, he was kind of doing what Kyrie was doing, in a sense, for Duke. I think people are forgetting also that Cleveland hired a first-year coach in the NBA last year, and that went horribly wrong by all accounts. And Garland was also made the starting point guard for an NBA team coming off the injury and with that first-year coach. I think that's a lot to handle for a rookie. He was also thrown into the mix with Colin Sexton. I think it's a win for the Cavaliers that these two didn't come out of the season hating each other, given everything that happened. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's fair that they get another crack at it. I think it's fair to expect that they're going to be a lot better this year. I, I as well am intrigued in the Cavaliers. And don't forget about Dylan Windler. I heard he looks good. Yeah. Really good. 
Yeah, can shoot the ball. He he'll be interesting. I, yeah, he he could add something to them. And I'll say this: like I'm more of a Garland guy than a Sexton guy. I I think Garland is extremely skilled, and and I'm yeah I'm by no means out on him. I'm I think that injury was a factor, and he just kind of got off to a slow start. But you know he started to put it together later in the season, and I'm I, yeah I I like his potential. I I would do this. I would look if if I was going to trade one of the guys, I would look to trade Sexton. But I do think it's worth probably giving it another look, like you said. But I would maybe reconfigure the backcourt, um, and I would like to bring Sexton off the bench. I don't know how much him and Garland can play together. I would rather have it be Garland and KPJ uh, with Sexton as like a sixth man. Like, I really think ultimately that's going to be his best role in the NBA is is like a sixth man uh, microwave scorer more than like a lead ball handler in a starting lineup. And I think Garland can play that role. So I would just reconfigure it a little bit and and maybe have them share the court a little bit less. Um, and And that could be doable with KPJ's continued development and also the potential emergence of Windler. Yeah, I don't, I do not see this backcourt fitting together. I mean, the question of can they be better than last year is a bit misleading because it's like, can they be better than just about the worst ever? So, and I, I, I hope so, but I don't see it being much more than that. I do think Garland particularly has shown all the indicators that he could be a great shooter and a good ball handler. And that's, what you would like out of your point guard, how much he's ever going to offer defensively. I mean, that's who cares. Yeah. I think Sexton should be playing the sixth man role and probably will eventually get shipped out. If Garland shows real signs of life this year, I'm not too big on him personally. I'm not too big on either of them. I'm not too big on this team, but I mean, what it's a nice 13th seed this year would be nice for them, I guess. Wow, you're you're a lot lower on them than I am, Jacob. I think the Cavaliers are are my team in the East that I would pick to shock people. I I I, I, I think they're going to make noise. I'm sorry. I just I I really like the makeup of this team. I like the pieces that they have in place. I like the fact that um as we talked about, they they have a real coach now. Um, so I don't know. I just I I, I think the Cavs are are really going to come out and surprise some people. I guess only time will tell. But um, I think they're going to fare better than the team we're going to talk about next, which would be the Pistons. Um, and I actually have uh, a question from the audience. Shout out to, to Trevor, somebody I knew back in high school asked us this question on social media. Does Troy Weaver move off of Blake and or D Rose to get back assets to build around the young guys or retain them um, for, for the full year for veteran mentorship? Can I start just by saying that it's really cute to think they want to build around the young guys based on their offseason <laughs> moves. Uh, that's, that's, it's nonsensical that when every move they've made has been to the detriment of Killian Hayes and Dumboya's development. I do think Rose has some value, I think, because he's on a very tradable contract and he could be a good sixth man for a lot of teams. I can see them getting assets back. And Blake apparently has some trade value. Apparently, I don't see it personally, but that's what I've heard from like Zach Lowe. He's been saying that teams have been asking about Blake which is interesting I don't see it and I, I wouldn't be shocked about any move this team makes just say I'm a Detroit Pistons fan this year because I love a good train wreck and this is set <laughs> to be really good train wreck I think the dream is to sort of rehab Blake's image and value 
and maybe move him by the deadline. I mean, I think that's the dream scenario for them. I don't know what you could get back for him at this point. Uh, maybe if you take back some bad salary, you could get a first rounder, um, you know, but something just, you know, with the future in mind. But yeah, that obviously nothing about their team makes sense. The Jeremy Grant thing doesn't make sense. The burying uh, Dumboya behind like six guys that play the same position doesn't make sense. Um, but I think... I think they'll hope to move Blake and I could see them keeping Rose around as like a mentor for Killian Hayes. That almost seems like what's going on right now, just with the way that Rose has been talking about him and uh, there might be something there. So I could, I would almost, I think their, their goal is to probably move Blake if, if at all possible. And I'm sure they'd move D Rose too for the right offer, but I could see him having some value as, as a mentor to their young point guard. I don't have much different to add there. I think Blake would be the preferred one to move. Um, the fit is going to be tough around the league, definitely. Uh, sneaky fit, maybe the Warriors. You know, they, they kind of need some front court presence, and he's pretty skilled. He could fit into that offense a little bit, um, play next to Draymond. But other, you know, I really don't have too many other takers off the top of my head. The Warriors are probably in like a wait-and-see approach with right. Blake to see right. how he comes back. But yeah, I agree with you hundred percent, Cole. I think if, if, if Blake's going to be moved and he's good enough to add value this year, then I think the Warriors have to have him at the top of their trade list. If they really want to still contend this year, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree completely. Move um, Wiggins for him. Yeah. I probably would if that deal was good enough to, to come across and we're going to discuss Wiggins when we get into the West with the Warriors. But I mean, if you're talking Steph, Kelly Oubre, Blake, James Wiseman, um, while, while it's not the same kind of offense shooting-wise, that the, you're, you're talking about so much IQ and ball movement on the floor at, at that point that that's, that's pretty intriguing and, and, and hard to pass up on if you have that opportunity. So, oh, yeah. um, And Blake's become a pretty good shooter with mm-hmm. the uh, absence of his athleticism in the last year or two. Yep. Yeah, better he, shooter than Draymond. the indiana pacers are we sure the pacers are that much worse than last year are we really sure they're worse because everyone wants to like jump off of their ship completely and say if if one team in the east is definitely um has the potential to fall off and and let somebody else come up that it's indiana and that's pretty much the question the, the answer you're getting from everybody that's in the media and who who talks about basketball. So I'll open it up to you guys because I look at the team, man, I really don't think they're going to be worse than last year. I I think they're pretty much going to stay the course unless Oladipo really falls off in terms of his play or if something happens and he just doesn't want to be there and, and they have to move him during the season. But if he's there, if he's healthy, if he's playing well, I think they're the same team as last year. I don't see a drop off. I think Oladipo torpedoed them in the bubble with his shot selection. Um, he was just, he was out of control. It was some of the most irresponsible offense I've ever seen. I mean, the guy was shooting like runners from the corner three. Like, I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. I've never seen anything like it. I thought he was terrible. I thought he really hurt them. And even when he came back um, last season before the hiatus, he really hurt them too. I think they lost maybe eight or nine straight when he came back after they had been playing pretty well with Brogdon kind of running things. So I actually think Oladipo, unless he, you know, returns to form, I think he hurts them uh, with his play on the court and also just the fact that he doesn't want to be there and everybody knows it. And he's just, he's really, 
looking like a bad teammate at this point. Um, if any of those reports are true about him talking to other teams in front of his own team about wanting to, can I come join you guys? Like if he's really that guy uh, and obviously he'll deny all that stuff, but you know, a lot of times when there's smoke, there's fire. And um, so I just think for a number of reasons, he really hurts them. And, and, and just having him there is going to make them a worse team Honestly, as crazy as that sounds, because he was a pretty nice player a couple of years ago, but I don't think he's that guy anymore. I think he has sort of an inflated idea of what he is as a player I think he thinks he's a number one guy still. I don't know if he ever was, but he, he definitely thinks he is. And um, I think they'd be better off without him. And, and look, even if they don't get that much worse, I think a couple teams in the East are getting better that could sort of leapfrog, leapfrog them. Like I think the Wizards and the Hawks, to name a couple, could easily leapfrog Indiana. So even if Indiana doesn't fall off that hard, um, I still think they're a prime candidate to fall you know, below the eight seed. Not to, not to move this along too fast, but I, I see an opportunity to kind of combine two teams and two questions here because while, I'm, while we're talking about Oladipo, Brett, you're bringing up a lot of good points. What if their neighbors next door, the Milwaukee Bucks, actually make a move for, for Victor Oladipo now that the, the, the Bogdan stuff fell through, has fallen through, it obviously can't be revisited, he's going to be with the Hawks. What if they would look at Oladipo and say, hey, if he doesn't want to be in Indiana, but he's healthy and he can still add value, that's a piece that with Drew Holiday in that backcourt, I, I, I think that would certainly help the Bucks contend in the East and further cement themselves as one of the leading teams to, to come out. Or do you, do you guys think that they're going to stand pat? Can, can somebody like Dante DiVincenzo um, still step up, have another jump to make, and, and, and help the, the Bucks kind of stand course with what they want to do in the East? Um, I think if that trade could be made, I think including, I think it would have to be Dante back yep. to Indiana plus filler. I think at this point, Depot's value is so low. If I'm Milwaukee, I'm saying, look, we give you DiVincenzo and then we make up the salary. That's all you're getting for Depot. Or you can go out and try and find a better offer for him because I don't think there is one. Honestly, Oladipo, like Brett said, torpedoed the paces last year since his injury he's been shooting 41 percent from the floor and that and even like there there are some good scorers some good volume shooters who can shoot 41 percent from the floor and right now depot is not that he has been just leaking value and when when the biggest thing that's come out of the off season for the paces is miles turner and oladipo's sister having an argument on twitter that tells you how little you've done and how little is going to happen. Because just looking down the East, you've got who you've got um, Philadelphia, M Miami, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Washington, Charlotte. I don't think all those teams have leapfrogged Indiana, but they were all below them last year. And they're at least all a lot closer or above Indiana right now. I personally, I have Indiana in the play-in. I don't see them getting much further than that. And that whole the Oladipo thing this summer, someone's lying there, ultimately. Either Oladipo's lying about those things not being true, or one of the teammates is spreading rumors about him, which is either way, it's a fucking toxic environment and something needs to change. Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you guys have just said. Um, I don't think Oladipo is much of a Budenhoser guy from top to bottom on the court and then just in terms of personality based off what we've been hearing over the last 12 months. So I think you kind of, I think if you're the Bucks, you stand pat, 
I think if you're the Pacers, yeah, you're probably going to be worse this year. I agree with with Brett that a couple teams have gotten better, like the Wizards, and they should be able to surpass the Pacers. Um, one thing we also have to look at within this season is that travel is reduced. You're going to be playing your division a lot. Um, and so teams with stronger divisions are going to be kicking teams with chemistry issues, and, and that's the Pacers down, down the ladder real quick, in my opinion. Um, I think Dante does take another step. He was slow out the gate at Villanova, and then by his third year, he was the, you know taking over the NCAA tournament. So he's not going to take over the NBA Finals for the Bucks, but he could have moments where he really shows that type of player again. Yeah, I think he could be, you know, at least 80% of what Bogdanovich is going to be this season. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's what, he's going into his third year. He's maybe 23 still. He's, he's young enough. And he was really good for them in, in spots last year. He had a couple of stretches of games where, uh, where you know, he was he rebounds the ball really well for his size. And uh, I think he's a better shooter than his numbers show. I think, you know, I think he could be a 38% three-point shooter. Uh, so I think he could take a, a leap and, you know, be not that much worse than Bogdanovich uh, will be or, or would have been for them. And um, I don't know, Ol- the Oladipo fit makes sense there on paper with Milwaukee, but, you know, because of all the issues we've talked about and just, I would rather just roll with Dante. If he would be the guy that you have to give up, I'd rather just keep him. Uh, I think he can get a lot better. He's a much better defensive player than Bogdanovich. Like he's, gonna say, he's an you know, animal he's, of a team yeah, defender. Yeah. His, I mean, his advanced uh, defensive uh, metrics last year were were fantastic. So right. uh, I know you, some of that was their 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 team and their system, but he is a good defensive player for sure. Right now, you take him off the ball just a little bit with Drew in house, he's going to be wreaking havoc. Like him and Drew off ball and on ball together, it's just that's a nightmare for the other team's perimeter, in my opinion. It could yeah. end up being that it was a blessing in disguise that the Bogdanovich thing fell through. Right, it really it could be. I mean, I. I, don't know, I do really like I agree with you guys I really like Dante I think it really speaks to him that he he clearly knows how lucky he was to go to Milwaukee as they're ascending to contention because like you guys say his effort on defense and how high he tries and how well he fits into the team and tries to fit in that speaks to a high character that speaks to someone who just wants to get on the floor and play and win games and that's that's a great thing I do actually I like the trade for Indiana if they could get him. I think he would actually make them better than having Depot this year. I I I look at that and I'm like, yeah, that's a really good like extra guy in your guard rotation with Brogdon. Like that's that's really good. So at this point, do I value Dante Divincenzo more than I value Victor Oladipo? Probably. In terms of contract plus impact plus team chemistry, yeah, probably. The only thing I'll say about DiVincenzo before I move us along to the Atlanta Hawks is I just hope that if he's going to be with the Bucks for the Bucks' sake, that he remains engaged because when you involve a young player in, in trade talks and you pretty much have a deal done and then it falls through, especially given the fact that he is still young, is still getting better as we all can agree on, um, I, I just hope he doesn't look at that the wrong way and kind of torpedoes himself for the Bucks, I hope that he keeps staying and, and, and playing hard and, and brings a good attitude to the team because he is expected to be one of their main contributors this year if he's there. Um, and just for his sake, I hope that his mind's in the right place and I hope that he didn't take that too personally because the NBA is a business, but um, they're, they're going to look to him to make a leap. I think he's perfectly capable of taking a leap as, as you guys have all laid out perfectly. Um, and, and I just hope that the chemistry stuff 
uh, stays there and stays strong because I he's a good kid. You don't get you don't got to get me to uh, to jump on the Divincenzo hype train before he came into that draft. Uh, before he lit it up in the tournament for Villanova, um, Cole and I had plenty of conversations. We were singing his praises pretty much that whole year in, yeah, in terms they, of how we viewed, viewed him. Before you move us on real quick, the, I got to see Dante's first game coming off his redshirt year. And obviously in warm-ups, he was flying through the gym. And he was making crazy dunks and highlight reels type stuff. Uh, get to the game, he looks like a, a mess of limbs and a deer in headlights. But And there were people calling for him to transfer his first year after Villanova. So I think he'll handle this whole trade uh, scenario just fine. I think this is, you know, he's exactly where he needs to be and he's going to be happy to execute and come out and prove everybody wrong. I hope so. I hope so. Um, so, so getting to the Hawks, how do the Hawks sort out their log jam at the two through four spots and which is the best combo uh, of two through four to build around the Trey Young, Clint Capella dynamic moving forward, if that's going to be the dynamic um, moving forward, and and who knows, maybe Anyeka Kongu surprises us um, a lot with how he comes in and, and and sets himself apart from other guys in that rotation. Maybe um, the Hawks see him, and maybe he comes out of the gate really strong, and he kind of makes Capella a potential chip to to maybe move again. I don't know how all that works out, but right now we're going to assume that Treon Clint Capella is the pick and roll combo that the Hawks want to build around. So, how do you guys see that two through four log jam kind of solving itself? Cam Reddish. It's <laughs> a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I, talent wins the day, and Cam Reddish is going to show up and show why. Love Cam Reddish. Yeah, he's definitely my favorite of that bunch as well. I like him significantly more than DeAndre Hunter. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's got to be, if you're talking about a two through four, I think long term, I mean, I guess you, you paid Bogdanovich, so it's got to be Bogey, Cam, and, and John cool. Collins. Um, I, you know, I mean, and then of course, Herter, where does he fit in? But, uh, yeah, he's just going to have to be your, your bench guy, but I think Reddish is, is the most exciting of the bunch. Uh, I maybe, maybe they look to move Collins at some point, maybe Reddish can even play some four, um, down the road, but you know, I, I think they value Collins a lot too. You have Gallinari in the mix too. Yep. But they say he's going to be coming off the bench and then yep. he's, He's he's only partially guaranteed in that third year of his deal, so you know he's he's there for two years. Um, I think if we're thinking long term, uh, you know he's he's probably not going to be part of it. I, I don't know. They're just like collecting players. It's really weird. I've felt like they're building up to make some a big trade or something. It's like you're just just collecting all these players, and it's so hard to see how they fit together. But right. I guess yeah. if Gallo's coming off the bench, it makes a little bit of sense. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just. I hope it doesn't hurt the, the development of guys like Reddish and Herter. Yeah, I hope they don't alienate any of the young guys. Right, right. You're, you're right. pretty much telling them like, hey, you're you're not good enough to play minutes with Trey. Trey obviously wants to move this team into a contending direction or, or at least getting on that path. So we're going to go out and get him veterans who actually can play alongside him at a high level. You guys just aren't good enough. You're going to come off the bench. And whether they like it or not, that's kind of the message they're sending somebody like a Kevin Herter, like like a DeAndre Hunter. And I talked about before the draft, and I know I even I even said it to 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 you and and to you two, especially Brent and Jacob, um, about maybe liking one of those other young wings to like light a fire underneath some of those other guys. But it's one thing to kind of bring in young competition 
to, to maybe help some of those guys reach their potential and get better just on pure motivation. It's another to, to essentially bring in a veteran replacement and say, hey, you're not good enough for this role. And I just really hope they're not ruining the dynamic and, and the mentality of some of those young guys. I don't know, but time's going to tell on that one. I think to a certain extent they will because I'm trying to look at this roster and think, like I do think the Trey Bogdan, Cam Reddish, John Collins – Capella lineup is probably assuming we know Gallo has said he's going to be the sixth man or whatever that's probably their most talented lineup but also if that's your lineup Capella is the only proven defender and Cam is a hypothetically very good defender then you've got John Collins you've got Bogey and you've got Trey Young that's I don't really trust that and if I want to lean into a bit more defense maybe i'm going to take out john collins and put hunter at the four and if i'm doing that at that point if i gallo still my sixth man like one of gallo and john collins is the odd man out here and that doesn't even touch on the guard rotation of having trey ogie rondo chris dunn herter like there's there are too many mouths to feed on this team not not everyone can get the minutes that they want or the minutes that the young players need so i do agree i think there's got to be some rumblings that come december 15th or whatever whenever the i don't think it's december 15th i don't know what the date set this year that the contracts are tradable again whatever that date is i see them looking to make a big move and i think at that point there might be a bit of discontent amongst the team because there's just too many players to give time to I agree. I agree completely. Um, Moving on to the Charlotte Hornets. Is LaMelo Ball actually the missing ingredient the Hornets need to get into playoff contention? And I don't know where you guys sit on the Hornets. I don't know if you guys have them as as kind of like your your, your play-in team or one of your play-in teams or if they're still far enough away from that. Um, I I think LaMelo Ball, listen, if, if the people around him certainly help him achieve his potential quicker than maybe is originally anticipated. So in other words, as long as he has the the right chemistry fits around him, he gets the support from the coaching staff in the front office. Like I think he's going to get, I think he come out of the gate and and really shock some people who knows, maybe he even gets into like that, that, that all-star conversation, not in terms of like him actually making the East all-star team or, or the collective, but maybe at least putting his name in the conversation if everything breaks right. I think for, for as much as I had LaMelo ball, fourth on my board i i really like the hornets fit the more and more that i think about it and i think he has enough pieces around him to maybe come out and shock some people i don't know where you guys sit on on him and, and the hornets as a collective i like the fit i thought this was probably the best place for him to land in the top three um i think he's one of the missing ingredients the hornets will eventually need i don't think the other missing ingredient is on that roster they don't have a number one or two or one a or second vanna guy next to Lamelo. um I think P.J. Washington's you know, a really good number three, but I don't think you're, you you want him being the second guy next to somebody like LaMelo. Uh, and I don't even know if you expect LaMelo to be the number one scorer on your team. He just is going to have the ball in his hands a lot and be the straw that stirs the drink for whatever offense he is a part of. Um, but yeah, I think they're still missing one big ingredient, but he's definitely a big piece for them. I mean, isn't the missing ingredient someone else that will play defense? <laughs> I mean, for for real, like who who do they have? Like that backcourt is leaky as anything with Lamelo 
and Devontae Graham and maybe Rosier comes in, plays hard, but it's it's hardly gonna move the needle. Then you get to like Miles Bridges, who I'm I'm unsure about. He seems like almost a Kevin Knox who has been in a more advantageous situation in his first couple of years. I'm not too high on him. Washington I am high on. Gordon Hayward obviously is an overpay, but probably gonna be their actual best player this year. And yeah, I just I'm not a fan. I really like this team. Is I think this team is going to be really interesting offensively. I don't think defensively they're going to be good enough to really challenge for the play in top 10, top 8, whatever you want to say, positions. Lamelo is good, but we really have to see him in an NBA setting to see. Like, I can't judge personally how good he's going to be in the NBA. Until you see it happen, I'm re- reserving judgment. Yeah, I'm optimistic that he could eventually take them to the next level. But if we're talking about this season and they somehow do contend for a playoff spot, I think that's going to be more a product of Gordon Hayward playing at an all-star level and really just elevating them. Um, I'm not sure that LaMelo on his own makes them better. Like, I'm not sure that he's a net positive as a rookie. He probably isn't. Uh, I think eventually he will be, but but not this season. So long-term, sure. And I agree, though, they would need to definitely put – um, some more pieces around him and bolster their defense a little bit. I do like the Martin twins a lot. They're really fun um, and they can play some defense. And I think they really, you know, they could, they could help sort of fill that hole for the team, but yeah, I don't really see them. I don't, maybe they could make the play in, but I don't know. A lot of questions with that team and I'm not expecting too much from LaMelo. A lot of highlights, I think as a rookie, but I'm not sure he's going to have like a positive impact on that team right away. I guess my, my, my optimism kind of comes from um, a lineup that I can envision pretty well in seeing LaMelo with one of either Rogier or Graham, depending on how you want to split offense and defense. And then with Bridges, Hayward, and then P.J. Washington playing the five, he's the coaching staff, and he's actually come out and said that it's in the cards for, for P.J. to be prepared to play a lot more center this year than, than he did last year. Um, and that to me is really intriguing because I think PJ Washington is a good enough rim protector at the five. And I certainly don't think you're losing anything on the boards, having him as well as bridges attacking um, to, to, to rebound as well as Hayward's obviously a big wing who can rebound. And then LaMelo um, is six, seven himself. So I don't think you lose anything from a rebounding perspective in that lineup. Obviously that's a quicker lineup to be able to play more transition ball and, and get guys easier looks. And defensively, I, I know we kind of want to bag on LaMelo a little bit, but I guess my my defense for him defensively coming in was that he is big, he is long. Obviously, he can hold his own to some degree defensively, even if he's not always engaged. But if they can get the most out of him defensively, um, especially in a lineup where it's Rogier instead of Graham next to him, I, I think those lineups could could cause a lot more damage than people think. And maybe that is a big reason why I'm a little more optimistic about what the Hornets could do this season, not necessarily counting that Cody Zeller is going to be locked in at the center spot and is going to play the majority of the center minutes. I think they're going to figure out pretty quick that PJ Washington is a capable center to step in and play that role. Don't know if anybody had any thoughts about that or not. (laughs) I just, just, I would just throw in the, honestly, I hated the Gordon Hayward signing for this team. I I get it. They kind of needed that veteran guy to shepherd some of these younger dudes along. But like you said, Brett, the Martin twins are super interesting. Um, Jalen McDaniels is super interesting. Jaden's brother. Uh, 
I wanted to see them kind of let their talent play out and see what they have with these guys and also situate themselves really, really well for next year and, and get that next guy to put with Flamelo. But that's not going to be the case, it seems. At least that's not what they're trying to do. Yeah, I don't know what they're trying to do. It's 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 odd. Um, I, I understand the Hayward signing from, I guess, from one standpoint, but it, it yeah, it does. It's not what I would have done. It's not what I wanted to see them do. So, well, we'll see how good Lamelo can be this year, and I guess that's really going to be the tell-all of how quickly the the Hornets can ascend. So we'll see. Uh, moving on to a real contender, the team that was in the finals last year, representing the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat. Uh, my question. Will Tyler Hero be a viable contender for the most improved player award? Brett, I'll start with with you on this one. I'm just going to say no, because it's extremely rare for a second-year player to win most improved. If you go down the list, I think it's been one, maybe two in the last 20 years anyway. I know Gilbert Arenas did it, and I, I think there's one other guy maybe, but it's rare. And also, I think that Hero really elevated his status in the bubble to where I think he's going to pick up, you know, essentially where he left off, which was playing really well. But I just, I, it's not going to come as a surprise or the improvement's not going to be quite as jarring, you know, as it would have been if, if there had been no bubble, if he was just, you know, if he got to that level like he did in the bubble. If there was like a most improved between pre-hiatus and the bubble, he probably would have right. won that. But I think because he already elevated his status so much, he's just not quite going to be in that conversation i know if you look at his stats probably from last season overall you know and then this season it probably is going to be a nice jump but um i'm not sure as a second year guy he's going to make a big enough jump on top of what he did in the bubble to really um garner too much consideration so you think it's more of that he won't make that big of a leap versus just i because I, I guess like you can make the argument one of two ways either you don't think he's going to take that big of a leap or you think that because it's year one going into year two, obviously you expect a year two player to improve over the year one version. So I guess you're, you're kind yeah. of leaning towards you just don't see the jump. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's going to be essentially what he was in the bubble. I don't think he's going to be okay. that much better than that. So it, it's so based because we've already seen it, because the voters have already seen it, it's like, yeah, this is we knew he was this. Like, I don't think it's going to look like as much of an improvement as it would otherwise it's just such a weird situation but yeah it, and also it is hard for a second year guy to win it like luca didn't win it in his second year i mean yeah which is nonsensical pretty much says it all right there yeah 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 i i do agree it's actually a question i posed in our group uh, on facebook that about jamal murray whether jamal murray's breakout in the playoffs and in the bubble is going to color expectations for this coming season and whether him averaging 25 points again is going to be impressive to voters in this award based on what he did in the bubble. Even though last year, you know, in the, in the regular season, he put up like 18, four and four or something. Like if he puts up 25 points and seven assists, are people really going to see it as that big a jump because their perceptions are going to be altered by the bubble? I think I agree with Brett. I think the same could happen in this because Tyler Hero had an excellent bubble. His, passing improved his playmaking and the pick and roll i wouldn't be surprised if he comes into next season and puts up like 18 5 and 5 which is a huge jump because he put up like 13 4 and 2 in his rookie season that's a big jump especially as a lead ball handler as a playmaker that's great i just i agree that 
I don't know if people are really going to view it as that big a jump because of what happened to Miami in the bubble and because of, like Brett said, the whole second year player, which to me is, it's nonsense. But I agree there is a precedent that they just don't really vote for second year players in this award. Yeah, there's lots of precedents that the NBA voters uh, follow for awards, which is part of the reason, again, jumping back to the Ben Simmons thing real quick, he won't get it this year because even if he does make the jump, it would be his first year at that level, and the NBA veterans just don't do that. Um, Yeah, when you have guys like Luca and and Shea Gilgis-Alexander who took the jumps they did last year and they don't win the award, I think it's tough to put Hero in the conversation this year. one guy I think could be in the discussion would be De'Aaron Fox if he stays healthy for the whole year. But no, I don't see Hero being a contender this year. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I, I, I guess I'm in a minority camp then that I think that he can take enough of a leap to put himself in contention for the award. Although you guys made the probably the, the be, one of the best points I've heard all night, definitely. Um, that if Luca couldn't win the most improved award, then then what chance really does Hero have in the, in the same year? So o- o- only time will tell. But I, I expect big things from Hero for from Miami this year. I think they're going to feed a lot more responsibility his way, and I I think he's going to take that bull by the horns and really show what he's made of. I I I think Miami um, is definitely going to have a better regular season record this year than they did last year, and I I don't see them going away anytime soon. I think they're going to make the same impact. So uh, moving on to the other. Um, main team in, in Florida here. We have the Orlando Magic. Uh, do the Magic stand pat with this roster and be more patient with the young guys while riding out this collection of veterans for a playoff spot? Or is there a fire sale to be had? I'll open that one up for discussion. Uh, do you think they're going to make a playoff spot? Personally, I, I don't believe they will. You don't think year. they're in for the play for the plan? Not even top 10, honestly. I don't believe. I think the fire sale was more when they were making the eighth seed. And now, I mean, I think they probably will. I think I think them getting the 12th seed is pretty on the cards. And this is a fire sale that they should have had maybe a year or two ago, really going into the tank and stopped. Because right now they've been, you know, around like the, between the 10th and 15th pick for the past few years. And, haven't really gotten apart from they hit on like Isaac and you know we hope they've hit on Cole Anthony this year but it's really this Orlando team has been treading water for a while now I don't see them really doing a fire sale that they should be doing and I don't see them making a playoffs I just see a slow decline into terribleness for them if they do fire sale Vucevic has to be like the best player that would be on the trade market at that point then somebody would want to snatch him mm-hmm. up. Yeah. He, he is so underrated. Nobody talks about him. He is. I think he'll, I think he'll be available. And I think Aaron so Gordon, Hey, Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I, I think, uh, I think Aaron Gordon will be available and I think they will move Fournier. I mean, he's not in my opinion, a part of their long-term plans. Uh, he's got, he's on his last deal of his um, last year of his deal. He picked up his player option. Uh, and he's a guy that could really help a team like maybe the bucks. Um, you know, somebody like that. So I think I think Fournier will get moved, and I wouldn't be surprised if at least two of those uh, guys I mentioned got moved. I, I I think there will be a fire sale. I think so too, and I'll just chime in that these type of vets, uh, Fournier, Gordon, and even Vucevic a little bit, they're not necessarily the type you want around for shepherding young guys into, you know, a more professional <laughs> mind state. Um, I think if you're Orlando, yeah, get, it's time to get rid of these guys. Let Truma and Cole Anthony and Fultz figure it out. Get Isaac back. 
mm-hmm. and lay your cards right for the draft next year and really break into the top six pick like you should have been doing the last two years. Mm-hmm. But to but to their credit, I mean to pull Isaac, Okiki and and Cole Anthony it could be it could be some really good drafting on their part. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think the Magic are in prime position to to trade some of those guys, get real assets back. And, and yeah, this next draft, as we know, is going to be incredibly loaded. So if they land a top pick in this upcoming draft, that could be the last piece of the puzzle that they really need to build out their future long term as a contender in the East going back to um, their days with, with Dwight Howard and, and a lot of other cats that, that I'm sure we all hold fond in our memories. Um, so rounding out the East, the Washington Wizards. My question I, I did not bite for, for the, 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 the majority media question that's like, how are Russell Westbrook and Brad Beal definitely going to mesh together? Because I think they're both going to be um, dynamic and, and awesome a, a, as a pairing. Uh, but should Denny Avdia be much more of a rookie of the year threat than the odds makers are giving him credit and just kind of give our audience um, what that actually looks like? The last line I looked at was that he was a 24 to 1 pick um, for, for rookie of the year. That, that is far too low for a talent that I had third on my board. Um, whoever wants to chime in on that one, please. But yeah, that that's my take, that I think Avdia is going to be a real missing ingredient for this Wizards team at the wing, whether you want to label him as a three, as a four, just putting another guy out there who can make quick, smart decisions with the ball in their hands next to Westbrook and Beal, who are obviously primary offensive initiators in their own right. They just do it differently. Um, th- this is going to be a really dangerous offensive team if Avdia uh, comes up to speed and is as good of a, a player right out of the gate as I think he can and he will be so that has him I think the list that I saw had him fifth maybe sixth I think he's the... I think he's sixth or seventh he why he, he so did not make the top five wow so it's behind Lamelo, Wiseman Edwards um Toppin Toppin of course yep and then yep. maybe Halliburton um, but anyway, I think that's fair. Maybe he's a little low. I mean, I'll say this, like, we don't know quite how these guys are c- going to produce as rookies, but if the wizards could get, it could be like a six seed say, which I think is possible. And he's their starting small forward and he averages 13 points a game. Say that could be enough to get it done in this class, depending on other people's production. I could see that if he's a solid contributing starting player on a legit playoff team that could get it done. And, you know, he's one of the few guys in this conversation that really has a chance to contribute for a good team. So, um, and Wiseman obviously would be the other one in that particular conversation. Um, So I could see it. Yeah. I'd say it's a little low. I'd probably have him maybe fourth, but you know, um, I don't know. I have a hard time, <laughs> hard time predicting what he, just what he's going to do. I do think he's going to start for them for at least for the bulk of the season. You don't want to bet on young players with, with with your buddy. That's a lesson I've learned far too often. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm saying. It's it's tough, man. <laughs> yeah, I I I just think the makeup with Russell Westbrook, Beal. You know, maybe he beat he beats out Hachimura for the small forward starting spot. Sure, I could see that happening. But then you got also. Batans, Thomas Bryant, all these guys want to shoot. So how much does Avdia really get that much really say in the offense? I think no matter how talented he is, if he wins the rookie of the year, it's going to be very much in the Malcolm Brogdon mold of, yeah, you just put up 
pretty okay numbers on a good team and there wasn't really anyone else who really shone in this class I think someone is going to and I don't know who that is yet my money's on Cole Anthony taking that there we but go yeah I, th- I think he will I think I said it before I think he'll beat out Fultz quite early for the starting spot because I think he's more dynamic than Fultz is with Fultz's whatever jumper and I think that that Orlando team is set up for him to do that. I don't think this Washington team is really set up for Avdia to get maybe more than like 11 points per game. And I don't think unless we are talking about a that 2016 class where, you know, Ben Simmons was injured and Brandon Ingram didn't do much and Jalen Brown didn't do much and Embiid played like 27, 30 games and Brogdon just kind of walked into the rookie of the year. Unless something like that happens... I don't see Avdia getting it, honestly. Yeah, yeah fair I, enough. Go ahead, Cole. Yeah, I don't have Denny winning it this year. Um, and I'm, you know, I was just as high on him as you, Nate, there. I just think it's a matter of, yeah, Westbrook's in town. Good luck getting touches. Um, got to mention Troy Brown Jr. and all this, who's got to, you know, maybe a hold on a small forward position better than Rui does even. Um yeah, I think we're going to see why Denny should have been drafted higher than he was this year, but I don't think he's rookie of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think his experience will lend itself to his being able to integrate, you know, and, and just contribute a little earlier than a lot of these other guys, but it's hard to imagine him making enough of an impact, even just statistically, to really be in that conversation. But, uh, yeah, he's he's going to be a fun one to keep an eye on, though, and I think that was a phenomenal pick for them at number nine. No Definitely. doubt about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the Malcolm Brogdon path, as Jacob pointed out, that is Denny's path to, to winning the award. And, and the, the people voting for the award have gone the way more in, in recent memory of actually going the, the basketball route in terms of making that choice and who contributed more to winning and whose play ultimately lended itself to team success rather than just putting up raw numbers. Um, obviously, there are going to be guys in this class that will put up better raw numbers than, than Denny. Um, but we're, we're going to see where, where the voting lies, how much Denny's play can actually affect winning. And if he's on the court for as many minutes, especially, um, getting into like the second half of the year as I think he'll be. So I'm not, I wouldn't pick him to win rookie of the year. I just think that he should definitely have better odds than, than 24 to one. I think a player with, with his upside and fitting in the role that I can see him in with this Washington team, that's definitely going to be vying for, for a playoff spot and probably outperforming expectations in a sense. Um, I, I just think he needs to be shown a little more respect than 24-1. But that that's just my opinion. But I think that everybody at least is in some kind of agreement that while we're not picking him to win it, I think his, his odds should probably be a little better than they are. Um, part two with the Western Conference is going to be coming out next week. So definitely keep an eye on your feeds, everyone. Again, thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast. As always, find all of our great content on social media. Subscribe. Twitter, at Draft Deeper, like the Facebook page, do it all. We appreciate any support. Take care, everyone.